0: Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
1: to Wild Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all-black everything. All right, welcome back to Wild Black. This welcome back, welcome Art. back. What's up, everybody? This is Vince with you again in the building and we got another amazing dope episode super dope for you coming right at you right now all right first jumping straight in okuri
2: ok cello johnson Sounds like you should be saying my fighting weight after that. Right. Yeah. yeah, In the green trunks coming in at (laughs) 145 pounds. Let's get ready to rumble.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: Corey. Okay. Cello Johnson. Man, that's a name. It's kind of dope, ain't it? Ain't it? (laughs) Ain't Mm. it? (laughs) Y'all gonna really understand why it was so dope in a second. All right. He's an American cellist songwriter who has been playing his instrument since the age of seven. And is now considered a masterful communicator and storyteller. That's a long time. Woo yeah. to play. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. I'm fucking. He is both an educator and a musician who has performed and recorded with major label artists such as De Lasso, India Ari, Big Boy, not to mention he enjoys a career as a soloist with two dope albums to his credit. His latest, Resolve offers a healing balm of hope. And I, I definitely want to hear a little bit more about
3: what yeah. that means. Yeah. Before we jump into the wild black shit, sorry, he I'm flipping it up again. What 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 did you do with Big Boy? How did that work? Was that like his yeah, hip or so thing that he was working a, on? A,
2: it's actually a complicated little something because, well, you know, I have a, uh, I got a brand, I got an image that's kind of like family-friendly, educator, you know. Big Boy, Big Boy's real with it, you know what I mean? So. Right. You ain't gonna pop uh, that pussy for a real nigga. <laughs> I understand. I understand. He, uh, that um, <laughs> kill Jill. You know that that oh, song. Yes. Yeah, so I'm dope. not on the album cut. I'm on the video. So you know how the video starts with this long kind of cello intro. Yeah. Hey, that's me. Yeah, that's oh, me. that's dope. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's really cool. Well, look, tell the folks. I mean,
3: we already introed you, right? Yeah, tell yeah. them a little bit more about, about you. you just the fact let me, let me be right. very very clear folks this is wild black you know how we do we have a black cellist in the building today how many of those do you know well now you know oh cory okay cello johnson. johnson that's
2: it that's it the last johnson. man you know johnson <laughs> right yes sir <laughs> there's no mistake johnson He like on the, the grill the black, with the real. yeah the black film reunion Johnson. Right, right, you know? right. <laughs> <laughs> um all right so uh i've been playing since i was six Seven. We, seven, really. we late, said late six. six. We, we, we said took a seven. Year. It's it's. I was a month away, like a month or two away from seven. Okay, We're right uh, around So it's pretty much seven. Six. Um, we give them all this credit. Yeah, we, we give them everything. You know, Don't <laughs> I uh, played classically, you know, mostly through high school. Right. Um. Went to Morehouse and wasn't going to play. You know, there's a story. We'll probably get into it. But the reality is I put the cello down. HBCU alum. Yeah, HBCU alum, right? I put the cello down when I was 16 or 17, only to pick it up like a week later because my senior recital, my senior, well, my orchestra director wanted me to do a senior recital. Anyway, so that was a big deal. It was like a 20-minute piece in front of an orchestra, a lot of fun. But at that point, I put it down. And my career, this part that we're talking about now, started at Morehouse when I was coming back from a an orchestra rehearsal they had an orchestra for non-majors um you know some good players there but people who weren't super serious about it because they didn't have a program in that you see had my cell on my back because i was coming back from rehearsal and then this dude i knew i didn't know him well was on his balcony i was i stayed in like the well i don't i don't really like to use the word ghetto too much anymore but it, it was it was it was uh Using the, the west end dorm it was it was like one of the dorms that like you traded amenities for, like, no supervision. <laughs> so, gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> like, you, you got to, like, do what you want to do, but, like, you know, you, you, your shower might not work. You, lived, like that. you were in, in the dorm You were in Freedom Land. Freedom Land, right. So he was out on his balcony playing there. And uh, just let's let's reiterate the fact that it's a HBCU. It's Morehouse. Yeah, right. This was a dude in dreadlocks. It was probably the fall. He had on a skull cap. He was wearing some plaid black jeans. He had on, like, a, a wallet and a chain. And Black Boots, which is very, like, Northwestern, like, Seattle grunge. He was yeah. playing Stone Temple Pilots on his cello, on his guitar. And it's a brother. And it's a brother. I mean, because, okay. you know, it's Morehouse, right? Yeah. So that was the no, cool I thing about that at Morehouse. Wow. The best thing about being at Morehouse was that, one, you got a chance to be who you wanted to be, and yeah. nobody could, like, really call you, call you on it because you're at Morehouse. Right. Two, everybody knew everything. Well, not everybody knew everything, but, you know, this same dude could tell you everything about, like, like 1993 native tongue hip-hop like yeah. he knew all of it but he also likes we, we are well-rounded we are well-rounded so he was playing some stone temple pilots i like stone temple pilots i got my cell on my back i like find my way up to like outside of his dorm room it's kind of corny it's weird i know I, i've questioned the move a couple of times hey, But i it, sat down the outside of do his for dorm, good music it was that's exactly what it was yeah. i sat down outside of his dorm room and i was just listening I'm not sure why he came out, but he came out for a minute and he saw me sitting down. He's like, "What are you doing?" I can get the first thing he thought was, "What, what the, the fuck?" fuck? <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> <Right>. He's like, <laughs> "Yeah." yeah. I was like, "Oh yeah. man, don't don't worry about me. I was just listening to you play." He's like, oh, uh, okay." Weirdo. And I was like, "Why <laughs> why why why, why, why are you sitting down listening to? And my why play? Why you knock on the door? Yeah. Why Yeah, <laughs> well, like, hey, I what don't want to bother you. And you were know, playing." Right. He's like, "Look, man, I don't, that's kind of weird, but you can come in and play." I see you got a cello. Oh, you had a cello. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. so here's the thing. Come on, you don't think of you don't think of contemporary music when you think of cellos. I mean, you might now, but when I was playing, you didn't. Right? Like, there were no people doing that. Right. As a matter of fact, the career I have now was not possible right. in 1993-94 when we met. Right, Cello uh, was strictly so classical at the time. In, in my mm-hmm. mind, it was also that. right. I like, think like, the most contemporary thing I'd ever done was played like a pop song for some third graders. And, oh, so you, know, you never even... No, I was a classical cellist. I didn't really mess around and play contemporary stuff. But he was playing this song. He's like, why yeah, don't you come in and come up with a part? I was like, "Ah, uh, okay, why not? Came in, hour later, I had a part. And it was a nice part. To that stone temple palette song named plush that is the beginning that story that partnership between me and my boy his name is julian tillery we formed a band called us is probably the most important and foundational moment of my adult artistic career because it's as a result of that that i would meet my wife it's as a right. result of that that i would play with anybody i've ever really played with it's as a result of that that i really began to kind of own my identity as an artist um, and it's because of that that Atlanta became my kind of artistic home. I think it's really interesting. And, and mm-hmm.
3: correct me if I'm wrong with this, mm-hmm. but it, it feels like most people spend their lives, especially their their young lives, trying to identify and find their passion, mm-hmm. chasing their passion. Mm-hmm. In this case, your passion picked you up and drove you where you were going. It's it-
2: funny, though, man. I really wish, Vince, that I was smart enough to pay attention. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I, I uh... I rode with my passion for a while, but I was like, "Uh, I got to grow up or there's more lucrative things to do or "Uh, I got a family or whatever. I I can't tell you how many times I did that between I might have been 19 when I first started doing this and 40 when I really own this. So there was 20 years of me playing professionally, playing with India, playing with Julian, playing with this woman named Doria Roberts, putting it down, going to D.C., playing with this woman named Leah Morgan up there, putting it down, coming back playing with this woman named Callahan down here, traveling, got to, like doing a whole bunch of stuff before I really embraced the cello, not only as my most personal right. voice, um, but as perhaps my longest, most trusted friend. Well, look,
3: listeners, I know you thought we weren't going to get to it because today's episode's flowing different, mm. but we're getting there. Uh, we want to break into our wild black shit. And, mm-hmm. and today, <laughs> our wild black shit is going to be very different than what you have experienced before, so I'm going to break it down, and then we're going to get into it. So normally we ask two or three questions, two or one. Or, one or two of them are comedic, and one is, uh, "What do you love most about life while black?" We are definitely still going to ask the, "What do you love most about life Don't while black?" Don't be cheating, give him that question. <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> I oh. did. Mm. Forget cheat. you heard that, brother. Forget yeah. you heard
2: that. What question you what talking about? Exactly. I like you. It. you know. I like you.
3: I like you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time you mentioned the cello being your most personal voice
0: mm-hmm.
3: and we want to access that voice Yeah, let's play. so what i'm going to do is i've written a couple of scenarios and i'm going to read these scenarios to you and i want you to play for us and the listeners your interpretation of the feeling that the stars in these scenarios are feeling
2: I'm 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 excited to do this, but I gotta be honest with you, I'm having a hard time getting Trap Call Quest scenario out of my mind. <laughs> you said it like three or four times right now and all I can hear is boom boom <laughs> boom but I won't play that if that's not relevant to the scenario, but you know, I said that's in my head. That's Just what comes it. to you. That's what came to me.
3: Cool. So I'm gonna jump in and I'm gonna read scenario or situation number one. Yeah. Listen to what I say mm-hmm. and then play for me what you believe the stars of this scenario are feeling.
0: Mm.
3: All right. It's an early Saturday morning in Atlanta. It's about 2.15 a.m. Three 17-year-old young black men are driving back to their house. It's not raining. Not now, anyway. But it was an hour ago, and the roads are still slick from the oil that the rain released, so they're driving carefully. They just want to get home safe. They're playing their music loud, but it's not blasting, and they've not broken any laws. However... They find themselves being pulled over anyway. This is the first time any of them have been in the situation, yet they've seen the scene play out many times in the media, time and time again. All cars are stopped, and although the police are not yet at their doors, they're approaching the car. The young men notice that no guns are drawn, but each of the two cops, who are approaching on both sides, have their hands on the butt of their guns. Play for us your interpretation of what these young men are feeling. That's what I was
0: thinking.
3: Brother. Ooh. Now, in just a few
2: seconds, mm-hmm. tell
3: the listeners what you just did.
2: Oh, so there was some bass line I was playing that just made it feel like it's, you know, it's regular. We're just grooving. We're just right. moving. And then it got I felt quiet. frantic when it yeah. hit. Yeah. It got quiet. Cause then like, that's the first thing, you know, it's like, oh, oh shit. And then there's these kind of awkward feelings. What's He's, going on? What's going happen? What's going on? These, I can't I really see. And then and then there's a like, let's go back to being normal. It's very cool. And the conversation cool. just goes, it just goes left all the time because, you know, they weren't doing anything. Yeah. And then going, and then, you know, they're trying to like explain stuff and some of it's not landing the way it's supposed to land, you know, and, and it's just, it's one of those situations where um, the words probably don't really exist. Yeah. It's just feel. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of where I was going. Cool. Um, I, we didn't quite say exactly how it ended, so I didn't I didn't take it any place. Right. Yeah. But I just left it with some some tension. Some and, and I I, I wanted to play in that
3: space. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think the the finality that we see play out so much on TV feels like a big bang all the time. Mm-hmm. The, the real tension comes in the fact that we get pulled over every day and we mm, never know how it's going
2: to end. Yeah, it's I, really the. It's I mean, you know, the, the terror, right? It's obviously the impact and the outcomes, the, the horrible outcomes that we, we deal with, right? But it's the terror. Yeah. It's the it uncertainty. Is. It's the, like, you know, I don't really know how this is going to happen or how, what's going to happen to it or, you know. So that's, that's kind of what I was trying to get at. All right, cool. Situation number two. Number ready? Two.
3: Yeah. A young 26-year-old woman sits alone in a mahogany chair in the back room of an old church while six of her closest friends buzz around excited. She is too excited. But she can't quite seem to surface those feelings yet. None of her six friends notice because while they're looking at her, they don't see her. They see her gorgeous makeup, her amazing dress, and the three-carat diamond ring she's rocking. She's in her wedding white, and while she feels more gorgeous than she has ever felt, she's also stuck deep in thought of the next 80 years. Can she give him all she wants to? Can she be the wife he needs? He is 28. And his tux, tux fits perfectly. His line is sharp and his shoes are shine. His guys are there, but he's alone at the moment because all they can talk about is which bridesmaid's going home with him tonight. He too is happy, but preoccupied. She deserves everything. And he feels as if he has nothing. How can he be the husband
2: she deserves when he's not yet even sure of who he
0: is? What are they
2: feeling? I've actually already written this song. Oh. I wrote this song It's called Cloudy Morn And it's it's almost identical to what you've described Serendipitous But I'm not going to play that exactly right now I'm going to play something else So I'm going to start with her voice And there's a little bit of um, There's excitement okay. But there's also trepidation, right? You said Tre- there's like There's um. something uplifting a little bit towards the end there. So again, right. here's the airport.
3: it down. Break so, it
0: down. Because I, I, I <laughs> felt like I
3: was with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so there's,
2: there's definitely, there's a little bit of some something similar to what she was going through, but there's a lot more certainty in his. There was some like staccato, some like, you know, I'm not sure if I can do it, but I'm, you know, I'm going to die trying. Right. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to put myself out there. And um, I'm going to be the man this woman deserves. Oh. Yeah, so that's that's kind of where I was going with that. You know yeah, what I mean? Beautiful. Like with some of the certainty, like the, the like a, that whole idea of like that whole idea of like you know repeating it and, and maybe it the over. most I'm important thing. It. I'm gonna get it. Consistency. Yeah. Consistency. Yeah. And then and then the person that you gotta convince that it can be that it can be done most importantly is yourself, right? That's so that's it's you know, kind of that mantra thing to yourself. Oh. Okay, you ready for the third one? Man, you work. You got three us oh yeah, yeah, do. Oh yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. It's actually going to be it's gonna be four questions. today. I'm going to throw this last I, scenario
1: I got, away. I got one more, too. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's go, like... we, we can do that one at the end, though.
3: We can do that one. Right, right. Right. Good
0: one. All,
2: all right, right, we'll
3: Third one. Mm-hmm. It's typically great to be home, to breathe that old familiar air, to see, talk, and laugh with family. And this time, there's a lot of family around. And while from the outside, it, it probably looks all typical and normal, There's nothing typical this time. There's nothing normal this time. Because this time he knows this marks the change of everything. Nothing will be the same after this trip home. Why? Because his father is dying, and he knows there won't be another conversation. There won't be another weekend, and there won't be another laugh. Not between them, at least. He's in his room, but he can't really sleep. When he hears footsteps on the stairs... He already knows the message that's about to be delivered. Your father has gone are the words he hears his grandmother utter. He gets up. He walks down the steps to the family room where the hospice bed is set up to say goodbye one last time. He stays there by his father's side until he's taken out of the front door. How do his feelings sound?
2: So the family is... Looper. I'd loop that you know. And then over top of that I would play um there's a, there's joy in there because yeah. you that relationship right yeah. the whole family is there yeah there's joy there's memory there's there's kind of like um there's inertia there's there's movement and then we know that that movement is coming to an end yeah that is that is amazing yeah. so yeah, that's yeah. that was kind of sinking all these ideas honestly though I would refine if I were like actually writing them for a movie but, like I'd you. record them like all right I was, Wanna use this key, but yeah, like those are those are the things I'm feeling at least initially. So so I don't know what this is, but it invokes
1: so much emotion. It does. It and does. I don't know if it's the instrument or it's a lot the, of the thought instrument. process around how you play what notes. That's dope. For me, I, well, I think about those situations.
3: Like being very transparent. Situation three is me. That
1: that's uh, that's how my father died.
3: So I, I was hoping I could get through that one. and I did. Okay. But like I, I recognize all those emotions that you were playing. So here's the
2: thing that's interesting yeah. for me. Um That's dope. I'm not a jazz-trained improvisationalist. Right. So improvisation is almost exclusively, at least in the Western and in the American tradition, um, a kind of a jazz thing. Now, if you're kind of like in an African tradition, there's a lot of improvisation specifically around drums and rhythm, right? But in the United States, it's jazz, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm not a jazz player. Most string players, most classical musicians don't get that kind of training. Right. So my doorway to in, into improvisation wasn't really through music. It was through being an English teacher. Hmm. It was through, that's as I'm beginning to kind of compose on the instrument, what words, what emotions, right. what faces, what situations make sense to me right. on my instrument? Right, that makes sense. So that's, that's at least my approach, right? right? So when you're reading a scenario like, I'm looking for a setting, and the setting might be tempo, it might be key, it might be that kind of thing. But then I'm looking for an emotion, and I'm looking for maybe a plot for that emotion. Like, so where does that emotion start and where does it end? Um, And sometimes I feel like I land, you know, where that's going to go. And sometimes, you know, maybe, maybe not. But the journey is more so about give me a world and show me how it changes. Like, that's pretty much what music storytelling is, right? Because it's not just give me a world. It's that, you know, our worlds have plot. Right. Our stories have movement and our emotions have growth, right? So, you know, those are the things I'm at least trying to create to some degree when I'm playing, you know? Brother, you, you, you do it, man. Thank you. Like, wow. the whole thank, thing, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank playing you. Playing emotion that's opposed to words
3: and notes is really, really yeah, powerful. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing, why the you point could translate those so, those so easily.
2: Well, the thing is, it's, it's, it's stuff that you know. I mean, right. and every composer for a movie knows it, right? They know how to make you scared. Yeah, yeah. You ever watch a movie without music? It, you, the, all the emotion is gone. You, is when the, you can when they watch a take, horror film. You can take a scary movie it's and not they put music on. The, the music is different. what makes it. But the, the composers know that there's certain notes, there's certain keys, there's certain rhythms, there's certain instruments that evoke certain emotion. And, and you can't really see the emotion on screen without the help of the, of the music because we really cue emotion almost exclusively in person. Right. Like, so when you put it in two dimensions, you get a sense of it. But like, if you were across from me and all of a sudden your face changed because you got angry, right. like it's going to be like a full body physical thing. Right. Right. I'm going to be able to hear it in right. your breathing. Right. Like I might be able to smell it in the way that like, you know, I might, I'm going to see it. There's all this stuff that I'm going to register. All the cues. That you actually can't really engage that well in two dimensions. Yeah. That is amazing. So the music brings it back.
3: Which is also probably why Mm. so many of our our memories are tied to emotions and are tied, are based in music. Completely. Because I I remember like prom to me and I'm sorry because at the time he hadn't, he was this guy but it hadn't happened yet. R. Kelly represents my 1994 prom with my wife because I think that's all we listen to. Yeah. I don't see nothing wrong with a little bumpy grind. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, mother-in-law.
2: Yeah. But, that's that was the soundtrack for 1994. For me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the and the thing that is really beautiful about music for me is that, um, you know, when we talk,
0: right,
2: the words we think are kind of like eighty percent of the communication, right, right. But the reality is, we're actually making music with yeah. our voice, and we know that someone is lying to us when the words don't match the music.
3: Yep, that's a dope
2: way to put it. When the words and the body language don't match the music. There's a congruence in our communication in almost everything that we do. But the moment that we're trying to deceive someone, one of those three things in most people is off. And what's so powerful about music is that it amplifies what's already there when we're talking. It kind of just turns up the volume on all the emotion and all the communication that's there. And it gives you like a kind of a musical frame of reference. For what is kind of just quiet underneath of the words. But it's there. You know what I mean? That's that's the reason why, like, if if you get a ballad words and you put it over some like some like death metal, you're like, nah, that's that's Don't not worry. that's not it. That's not right, that's not words. that's not what I'm usually right. that's not Register. what I'm communicating, right? Right, right. But you know, the right soft, sweet song
0: right.
2: is really only teasing out what you're thinking or what you're feeling or what's kind of in the music of your communication already. Right.
3: I love where this interview is going. This is so dope. Yeah, All right, I want, I want to hit you with our signature question. Oh, here
2: we go. Am I playing or talking? Do you do you use Both. whatever Both. voice, however. Yeah, let me see. You let me see. Let me see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This right. one is this one is a critical. One. Yeah, yeah, is. yeah, 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 critical. Yeah.
3: So, what do you love most about life
2: while black? Mm. Man, I'm scared of this question because I don't want to say any of the stereotypical things, but I can't tell you how much I love. Rhythm. I can't tell you how much hey, I brother, love beating on things. I can't love like and, and one of the things that's very real to me, like I grew up in DC. Right. And so, you know, every little boy in DC learns how to like play go-go. Yes. <laughs> and for me, that's like a birthright.
0: Yeah.
2: That's a birthright. And it's a very real thing. And I think of it as a very real black thing, a black boy yeah. thing. Cause Music I I run into endless. like boys in Atlanta who are, like beating on desks. I run into yeah. boys everywhere. That There's something about that rhythm something about that percussion
3: yeah i agree
2: so what i like about kind of my body what i like about blackness what i like about like you know being raised in a black church what i like about being able to like in that black church also engage classical music and jazz and all that kind of stuff like that what i like about being in my black body is the way that i relate to life and music right because i feel like in so many ways that's one of the most beautiful gifts on the planet that right. I don't really think a lot of other cultures and traditions have as richly. Right. Or, or it's, kind it's so, it's, deep, it's so deep, right? You know what I mean? And so so there's that. That's one of the things that I really like. You know, I don't know that this is as squarely about being black, but it is about where I grew up. Okay. And when I grew up. Right. Um, D.C., uh, 80s, 90s. Backdrop of crack. Right. Um, neighborhoods really started to change a lot. Right. It's a lot of tragedy there. Uh, right. There's a lot of people that um, were victims. People I knew who you know either got caught up in the system or died. I had a cousin that got shot. Um, Sorry, but the reality is that uh, growing up in that space gave you a toughness, a temerity, um, yeah. a resilience. Yeah, at least in certain situations. Yeah, for those of us who are lucky to to make it through right. that. Um, I don't. I don't have to like wear it on my sleeve all the time,
0: right?
2: Yeah. But when it's necessary, pull it right out. I know I can call. I mean, I I call on it, right. you know. And it um sometimes it's the difference between my safety and not. Sometimes it's just uh my confidence and my certainty right about the world and where I am and what's beneath my feet, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I there are a lot of things. That are situational, that are generational, that are regional. In this country, where to be a black man has always been, um, in some ways, a contest. Right. How do you survive? Yeah. How do you negotiate? Yeah. Um, Some people have healthy, successful completions of that contest, right? Some of us don't always get that. Yeah. But that game teaches you something. It does. That my peers at white private schools didn't really have. Indeed. Indeed. I've got two daughters now and a wonderful, loving wife. And there's a lot of life that doesn't necessarily need that energy all the time. Right? Yeah. But there's some parts of life that do. Yeah. And I'm... I'm thankful that I have that preparation. And the beautiful when thing is, is
3: we can move seamlessly between Between them. <laughs> those
0: two.
3: We we got yeah. our our Hulk and our and our banner. We yeah. Can, we can yeah, do it all.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah.
3: and
2: a whole lot more in between. And a whole lot more in between. But seamlessly. those are those are those are some things that I, I really appreciate. Um I think the other thing that I, I really like about, about the last 40 years is that the American story is. The black story. Yes, now, I think it probably always has been, but I'm a big believer right now in that kind of the traditional Marlboro Man stories that America once upon a time like hung its hat on. It's just they're gone. Not the story. Anymore. Just it's yeah. not the story. Yeah. It's just Yo. it's undeniable. And, and it's, not, now. it's not to say that those folks don't exist. And I'm not throwing shade at anybody. I'm just like right. I mean we've we've seen the John Wayne thing, and right, it's, it's just. But I do know that. Um you know everything from uh everything from menace to society to moonlight right That's a good way to put it.: These are American stories right now, yeah, right? These are redefining the experience and the identity, right absolutely and and I know for a fact that. We're nowhere near the ceiling on those stories. Not at all. Um, I, I love it. it. I love. Yeah, it. I love yeah where you're going those are that. the those are the stories that I think are gonna redefine how people understand heroism. Right. It's like I think about it like
3: culture as a representation of the people. Yeah, and, yeah. And right now, and even before it was recognized, yeah. black people set that culture. it's yeah. often stolen, but now it's undeniable. And on top of that. It's exported out of the country. It is moved and weaved all through the country. I mean, just think about what we see on TV. Every commercial now, everything we see looks and sounds like us.
2: It's this, it's, I mean, and and for America, quote unquote, which is the cradle of liberty and all that kind of stuff like that. (laughs) The reality is like hip hop is the soundtrack of liberation across the globe right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm excited for what the future of American is. Yeah. And I feel very connected to it.
3: I agree with that. I agree with that. And, and I also think that the level of excitement that we feel also fuels all the pushback that we see. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, and, and I'm not blind. I don't want anyone to listen to this and be like, um, do you know that Trump's president? And do you, I mean, I, no, I'm, I'm acutely aware of right. pushback, Get pushback. But it. I also do believe, you know, call me unnecessarily optimistic on this one, but these are the last few dying gasps of Absolutely. that kind of... Mm-hmm. Dominance, Eurocentric, yeah. white supremacy, would, kind of I would,
1: thing. I would absolutely agree with you. Yeah, yeah.
2: The, the anxiety. The last attempt. Yeah, the, the, the anxiety. You can see it in the energy. You can see it in the anxiousness and the nervousness. Right.
3: I tell people all the time that it, when you when you corner a stray dog, is mm-hmm. when it gets the most aggressive. Oh yeah. When when there's no way out. Yeah. When, when yeah. they see what's happening, that's when they bite. That's yeah, when they get aggressive. Yeah. And that's what we see what manifesting yeah. in our culture right now. It is the the last bastion, if you will, of those people who yeah. represent that. And granted, some of them have influence and power, but they're biting back. They're yeah, barking. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes it's loud.
2: Sometimes well, it hurts. And what I also know is that there are people like me who aren't going back. That's right. That's right. <laughs> let's just be real, right. Let's be real clear about it. Like, Indeed. <laughs> Wild <laughs> Black <laughs> listeners, y'all just heard that. People That's like a message me, for everybody. We're am going right. back. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm cautiously observant of the emergency and the urgency in this country is very real, and there's no way I'm gonna lay back and relax on it. That's not what I'm saying. Absolutely. Right. But yeah. what I am saying is, there's no way we back. we ain't going back. Right? Don't it's get not <laughs> twisted. It's not <laughs> it's possible. Just, I, you know, regardless of whether it's possible or not, it's not happening. Right? It's not, it's not <laughs> going. It's not, not going. I'm not going. You know what I mean? Like, I'm. I'm not. What's right. not? What's not going back? So, um, yeah. yeah, I'm. I'm excited to live in that in that truth. I'm excited to live in that ownership. I'm excited to live in that confidence. Um, And that doesn't in any way, shape, or form deny the tragedy and the horror, especially that those of us who are being oppressed every day by um, cradle to prison pipelines, those of us who are being oppressed by like generations of um, disadvantage from redlining and Lack of opportunity. I mean, like I'm not. Yeah. I don't I, I? don't want it to be flipped right. you in somewhere. Like anything. I'm not. I'm not sleeping. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. It just, I just. It's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Real.
2: Yeah. I'm very real with that. I just believe we're bigger and better, true. <laughs> and you know, doesn't doesn't feel that way right now, but it's coming. It's so coming. Our episode is this, this, this is so different. I love it. This is gonna be yeah. so dope. Cool, yeah. man. I'm <laughs> so glad y'all had me on this thing,
3: man. This has been we, fun. We 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 always do a dope quote. Yeah. And. I wanna throw it in here just because of, of everything you've played, all the emotion that you've mm-hmm. played, like I feel like it kind of it kind of captures that. So the dope quote for today is this music does a lot of things for a lot of people. It's transporting for sure. It can take you right back to the very moment certain things happen in your life. It's uplifting, it's encouraging, and it's strengthening. And that's by Miss Aretha Franklin.
2: What do you what do you think about that? You know, I've been thinking about Aretha Franklin a lot, especially since she passed. Right. Um, And I believe every bit of it. I think the thing that I've been uh, really engaging and wrestling with is um, music as a truth language. I really think it's hard to lie. Right. And play music, right? Because I think it it accesses parts, I think, of your soul and your experience and your brain that are um, too powerful for you to manipulate. Right. You know what I mean? So, I think what i what I hear her saying is um, that there's a certain power and a strength to like memory and meaning making that music has, but what I also hear in her music is that um you know so much of the the black tradition in this country is recognizing the beauty of surviving truly catastrophic circumstances, right? Right. Um, And like we said, not everybody survives, but those of us who do have done something usually pretty powerful and strong. And those of us who not only do, but then live to not only tell about it, but to write about it or to sing about it. Right. And if we have that facility, we sometimes make something really beautiful and powerful, right? So the things that are so evident in Aretha's music and her voice is that, She's she's lived a really difficult, complex life, especially a young life, right? Right. And that um, to say that there weren't some really beautiful and joyful things. I'm sure she would say there were, right? But the pain and the difficulty of her narrative and her biography is very real and very intense. And in her music, and what's so beautiful about her music is that you can hear that pain, but you can also hear the transcendent quality of her melody and her performance and right. that for me is music right that yeah. for me is the you know i think music and comedy have a lot in common and that they are real life human examples of our triumph over tragedy right right, right. um and that's also what she's saying in that quote to yeah. me no i agree yeah i agree completely What do you think, bro?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to add anything to that. Mm, I I need to let that Let that be the
2: last. Okay, cool. I like that. I like that. It's cool, man. Thank you. I I, want to ask you I just Can I just say for the listeners how cool it is to be talking with a Vince (laughs) and an Art, (laughs) the names of my maternal grandfather, Vincent, and the name of my wife's maternal grandfather, Artley. So I feel like there's something very... um, divine and purposeful. We're supposed to be. As a matter of fact, if, if my wife and I had, had a son, we were going to name that son Artley Vincent. So here I am sitting with Vincent right. Art, which is kind of, that's kind of deep. That's it's real deep. You got to <laughs> tell your wife that with you. Yeah, out. I will. I will. I definitely tell <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. So one of the things that I saw on your website that mm. I, I thought was cool <laughs> was you, you talk about this commitment to tell stories, of course, via your cello mm-hmm. of the African diaspora. Right? Mm-hmm. So the question I want to ask is how... How do you use an instrument that's so unknown to us, mm-hmm. so beautifully as a vessel to tell those stories?
2: Well, you know, it's funny, like, the instruments that we use right now at one point in time were largely unknown, right? Right, true. I mean, like, um, the whole idea of black music is the idea of swallowing the drum. Right. Right. So they took the drum away. West Africa, the drum was a very real part of culture right, and communication. but. You, they couldn't have people communicating. Right. So one of the things that you hear ethnomusicologists talk about is the way that the drum specifically was absorbed into the rhythm and the syncopation of our music. Right. And long before we had a relationship to the instruments, we had a relationship to the elements of music, right. to the syncopation, to the particular pentatonic scale the minor and the, and the major pentatonic scale that we brought from across the water right we had a relationship to the form of song like call and response right right we had a relationship to um the way that melody could carry emotion right the way that it could not only carry but it could also be an opportunity for you to exercise emotion it was a uh, it was catharsis for emotion um it was not exclusively an intellectual exercise you know black music isn't commissioned by crowns to demonstrate the glory of the municipality right which right. I think there's a lot of classical music that that's the point point. and so right. if, if the point is for me to demonstrate with my money and my power and influence how great i am then it might be wonderful technically and intellectually yeah. right but i'm not sure that it necessarily is going to grab people's heartstrings but like you know a field hauler You know, which is a song that has the capacity to allow the person singing it to get through very difficult circumstances. Right. It's gonna be just so imbued with that experience. And that's a Black experience, that's a West African experience. And it doesn't really matter on what instrument you do that. So, in some ways, the actual instrument isn't really all that important. Right. Um, Right. This happens to be my instrument, Right. right. Um, But people do it on the piano, right? People do it on the guitar. People do it on the saxophone. Um, People do it on... All three of those are European instruments, certainly with African roots, but you know, right? Right. So I guess what I'm getting at is it is unique in the sense that there just aren't a ton of black men doing it. It is um, to some degree odd because those other instruments, at least... For generations now, have been absorbed as one American and two, in some instances, Black American. Right. Right. Um, Cello just hasn't. Yeah, this is a strange thing. You know, it's a good thing to say on a on a podcast that's really exploring blackness and kind of its particularities. But I come from uh, a middle class family, middle middle class, maybe lower middle class family in Washington D.C. A faction of which played ice hockey. Two, two points of difference yeah, yeah, for yeah, yeah. Like, young and, African-American and not, children. Not, wow. We're not talking like country club folk. We're not talking about, you know, talking about lived. Teeth. Talking not, in. Not, and not. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. That's, that's you and know, yeah. from great from the uh, age of four and up until about 12 or 13, I played hockey. Two of my cousins played hockey. Three of my cousins my age played hockey. And then two older cousins played hockey. They got scholarships. They didn't end up being able to take advantage of them. But that was just a thing that we did. So... I I grew up across the street from a black junior high school where there was a basketball court, there was a football field, there was a baseball diamond. There were some tennis courts too, right? Right. But like those were the sports that all the boys in my neighborhood played. And I played them. But on Saturday mornings, I woke up at 4.30 or 5 o'clock and made my way to an ice rink and played ice hockey. So my life has been that traveling back and forth between those spaces. And not being confused about who I was, right? Right. Not being confused about the fact that I have a very singular narrative, right? With perhaps a variety of different, of, a variety of different expressions, right? But, you know, I'm pretty clear about being the son of Brenda Johnson. You were confident and, in, yeah, yeah. You. you know, I'm not, I'm not confused about that. I'm not confused yeah. about the neighborhood where I come from. I'm not confused about the community to which I belong. Or, or more important, I'm not confused about the tradition, right? Right. Um. But that doesn't mean that there aren't expressions of the tradition that are accessible but unfamiliar. Right. I think that's just kind of what this is.
1: I know we're getting close on time. Yeah. Right. yeah. But I got a question for you. What's that? Um, and I don't know if we should end it with this question or if we got more. Mm. Well, if you think it's end-worthy, I'm going to ask one what? and a half questions and then because it, okay. it
3: sounds like it's an end-worthy it, question. It might be. Okay. It okay. might be because we're going to the future. But yeah. Okay, well, we'll do this. Mm. As I was thinking about music, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times, especially for me, music is a conversation. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a conversation that's tied to that memory that's based in the music. We we kind of touched that already. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I know for sure is that all people talk, mm-hmm. but most people don't listen or hear, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, it makes me think that listening and hearing is a is a skill that has to be practiced, mm-hmm. taught, and mastered, right? So, how do you tell or teach people to listen to the cello? To mm. the music that you put out? Because I, I do think a lot of us fall into that camp of, oh, I just don't get it. I don't understand that. So, you know, that ain't, that ain't I really, instrument.
2: I have <laughs> fault, right. yeah. fault the classical community on this one. Okay. Right? I've got this radical idea. I'm, it's being said here on your program first. If it, right. if it happens, then we want to, we want, all of us get to like split some royalties. Love it, love mind. it. So, let's be real. sports, are not accessible. True. And the reason why we know they're not accessible is because there's a half, a, half the world, another gender in many instances, that doesn't get the introduction to the sport very, instance, right. very frequently that men do. And they're kind of like, what is that? Why are we doing it? But it can be accessible through commentators. True. Right? So, you know, I don't watch regular season sports because it's a big commitment like regular season baseball, regular season basketball. There's like thousands of games. Like that's a lot. But I can watch playoff games. And the reason why I can watch playoff games is because some sportscaster is going to give me the entire story. They're going to tell me who to look out for. They're going to tell me what the like angle is for this team. They're going to set it up, right? And, And if I'm, you know, if I want it, I can get play by play, right? But the thing that's interesting with art, especially, is that they don't do that. They assume that you come to it knowing what you need to know right and that's kind of the hard thing right i really think that if someone could sit down and play beethoven's fifth and before they play beethoven's music talk about him as like yo this was the rock star this was the bad boy of the right. classical world and here's how and why he was a bad boy that little Bam bom bam is kind of like a middle finger to like the way that like people wrote oh. music back in the day because it's this tiny little phrase, right? And right. and most phrases are long and right, but it's like bam 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 bom. Like if you think about the attitude that's in it, like it's really kind of hip, like hip hop and gangster anyway, right? But someone gives you that narrative on how to <laughs> listen to Beethoven, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, now, it, now it's we different. We, yeah. I've always it's thought now. <laughs> that for people who are not classical music. Aficionados, mm-hmm. that it would be cool if they went to the symphony and they could have separate headphones, where they could Somebody actually have commenta- commentators interpreting, interpreting real time what's happening. I would right? fuck with that. You know that what I'm saying? So would because, dope. Fuck because that. the reality is the 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 general idea that classical music is just beautiful and it's exalted and it's really like that's super simple and super superficial. And we know that any artist that creates something, brings the entirety and the fullness of their life to that creation. And all those pieces have that that specificity to it, right? So, there are ways of providing the context that you really only get if you go to music school, or you only get if you become a composer, only get if you become an ethnographer. Um, So, I think you can give people an opportunity or an invitation to listen to an instrument like this simply by giving them context. Now, my music is not traditional in the sense that, you know, a lot of cellists play either classical music or they play classically influenced music. Some right. of my stuff is classically influenced. But for me, the reason why I think people who aren't classical musicians come and they, or classical supporters or appreciators, they enjoy my music, right. is because I give you an entry point. I give you a context. Like, here's where I was when I wrote this song. Here are the voices. Here's the plot. Here's the play. Here's the and play. Here's the, here's and the that's it. That's the comment. And that's yeah. it. And then once you get that, you're like, oh... Uh-huh. Uh, is so much more rich. It is. But my, my daughter um doesn't really like sports. My oldest daughter. She has a boyfriend now. She's 16. Boyfriend plays baseball. Right. She's learning about baseball. Of course. Yeah. And absolutely. I'm not gonna say she loves baseball, but she has a greater appreciation for it now than she did before because it's context. Yep. And that, and and that's that's all this stuff is. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's not super foreign. It's yeah. just it has been um kept away from people. Yeah. I love it. That's it. That's, it. That's, that's, that's pretty much what it has been. And and when people break it down and they get the they take the pretension out and all that kind of stuff like that, then it's much more accessible than you think. Yeah. You know, the, the, the biggest barrier to classic music is that it just takes a long time. <laughs> like that the pieces are like 20 and 30 and 40 minutes, right? So there's that long focus, but literally it's digestible. It's accessible. It's not any different than what you engage when you go to a movie. I also think the fact
3: that mm. there's a lot of classical music that people will recognize. Mm-hmm. They don't know they recognize like <laughs> it's uh, Yo-Yo Ma's, it's like it's from one of his live albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the one like you hear, like anytime the bad guy walks in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear what, all that What kind is of stuff. it called? I listen to it I all if, the time. I don't know if I don't know
2: that, but I know you know this from Yo Yo Ma. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, i, think, I like... Doo-doo. <laughs> anyway, so I think the thing that's really interesting about, you know, all that stuff is that a lot of classical music we heard when we were watching cartoons in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And that's the same recycled stuff that they showed in the Move 70s and the 80s and 90s, I right? listen to it all the time. Um, you know, so we're, we're familiar with it. And it is how the contemporary movie composers learned to write music. So they, they studied those scales. They studied what it does to people, you know. So you're listening uh, to classical music when you watch a movie. And not even doing this. And not even really thinking, you know, yeah, yeah. But you're being completely... You know what I think is dope?
1: Was that? I didn't know that what I would consider radical or what you consider radical, right, was that... I didn't even... That's the
2: middle thing. Damn. I mean, I want you to search your database. Now, I don't know if you're big classical music fans, but think of one other musical theme... That's that short and has that much attitude. They're all long, they all flow. Yeah. yeah. And they're and, and they so all like, defer. <laughs> F- <laughs> uh, dun. dun, dun, dun <laughs> right? Like. That's dope. Okay. And 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 it has the like distinction of being made a disco tune, right? Like there's a fifth of Beethoven. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> So I mean, it's it's a big deal. Like it's a, it's a really big deal, especially because in the same way that like you exactly. know hip hop and R and B are all like dialectic or conversational in the sense that like one song refers to the next or the mm-hmm. one previous, right? It's really a conversation. Um, and so when you listen to a song out of context, you think, oh, it's either great or it's strange, but you don't understand all the like six songs that went before it. His is is the is the same way, but his is like a decided like disagreement. It's like oh, no, I'm going in a completely different way. Bum, 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 bum. See, that's right? crazy. I, that's, I mean, that's, That's you know.
3: Right. So, I don't know. I know I know you got a question you want to close. I just want to say, as I was listening, I'm, I'm looking am looking so I can get the names right. Improvisation, meditation, incredulous, and I wonder what your life was like. Yeah. I was, I, I was on that loop
2: just yeah. over and over yeah, yeah, and yeah. over. I love, I wonder what your life is like. I don't play it a ton. And shows just because I'm thinking a lot about the tempo and keeping it upbeat. But right. sometimes when I play an intimate house show, I'll play, I wonder what your life is like. Oh, excuse me about that. Oh, you can. Um, but I wonder what your life was like as a song I wrote when I got a chance to do an artist residency in Raven Gap, Georgia for the right. Hambidge Center for the Arts. Right. And um, the Hambidge Center for the Arts is named for a woman named Mary Hambidge, who was a, uh, a woman, a white woman, textile um, kind of. Uh, super successful businesswoman. Right. Right. Um, and she owns this big property. She owned, because she's been dead for many years now, but she owned in the early part of the century this big property. I don't know everywhere, but I maybe in New York, certainly in the northern Georgia, where she made textiles. Right. And people were really excited about the hembage fabric that you could get. Right. Well, she was born around the turn of the century, maybe even a little bit early, earlier than the turn of the century. And her mother died shortly after she was born. And she was born to a southern family that prior to the Civil War had slaves. And I think there was a woman there who uh, stayed on with that family after emancipation.
0: Right.
2: Um, And her name was Mammy Smith. And they apparently thought a lot of her... There's some complicated narratives around how they talk about Mammy Smith, but I think... not, Not that anyone talking about it is talking about her... Like derisively or anything like that, but but just in general, like there's some unpacking that I think I would love to do more about Mimi Smith. But there's this picture of her. They they preserved Mary Hambridge's cabin on this property, and that's where all the artists. You get a cabin to yourself, and it's in the middle of nowhere, and it's dark, and it's like a tenth of a mile between you and the next cabin. It's no Wi-Fi. There's no nothing. You just you and your art. You know whatever you do. Anyway, so they they kept this one cabin. And they give you a kind of a talk and a tour of the cabin of Mary Hamburger's cabin. And there's this picture of Mammy Smith standing with her hands on her hip in front of an Atlanta house with this look of iron in her face. Um, and she's just absolutely intriguing. Like I don't know whether she's happy. I can't really tell whether she's sad. She looks strong. Um I don't want to romanticize her strength because it's the world in early 19th century, right? right? I don't want to say that she, you know, it's early 20th century, I'm sorry. Um, So I don't want to romanticize it, but I saw that picture and of all the things that they preserved about Mary Hamage's life, that was the thing that captured my attention. And I wonder what your life was like, was me writing a conversation to her.
3: That's awesome.
2: Really trying to understand, you know... What am I seeing in your eyes? Is there strength there? Is that strength that I'm seeing? Is that happiness at times? Like, but I'm sure that there's darkness. And, and more than her voice coming back to me, it's really me talking to that picture. Um, and so that's what I mean by I'd really try to embed narrative into my songs. I'm going to go back and listen to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. That's awesome. That you're have a higher appreciation. Yeah. I rather world. And for man, me, with the that's yeah. commentating, right? Yeah, that's the story. Absolutely. That's give me yep. the story for the song. Yeah, that is and so now dope. I can, you know.
1: Yeah. So you know what? I've been thinking about the future and I've been thinking about um, as, you, as you entered, you shared that you had two girls, mm-hmm. right? I also have two girls, which mm-hmm. I, I think is an amazing gift from God to mm-hmm. be able to raise two amazing girls, mm-hmm. right? Um, my man Vince has a, a girl and a boy, mm-hmm. which I think is also amazing mm-hmm. that we get this gift of of being able to really help people help little people, right, that become big people, that become, you know, Mm -hmm. productive individuals that are African-Americans in the world. And when I think about that, I say, man, I wonder what, because that instrument and how you manipulate and how you make that instrument do what it does with emotions, Mm -hmm. how would you inspire the future mm, the younger the generation, like
2: generation. Right now. Like, like As you think about it. I just want you to know, y'all y'all put me on the spot five or six times. <laughs> <laughs> welcome welcome, welcome to a Wild black. Black. Look, that's what happened when you hit home runs. That's <laughs> 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 uh, exactly uh, what happened. Uh, uh, yeah. Alright, so we're and your talking. Your daughter can appreciate that
1: because yeah. she's learned a little bit about baseball. Yeah, so. right? there it is. There it is. So I'll put all her business out there too now.
2: Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, huh? We're talking. How do I... What do I... Well, you know, I say to my daughters a lot, I do say... I'm excited for the future for them, for women especially. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, excited for, I'm excited for what we do to American life and culture in the next 20 to 30 years. Like, I'm, I'm excited about things not going back. You know what I mean? I'm excited about them realizing that they're not going back. Yep. Um, I'm excited about the fact that they carry the equivalent of universities in their pockets if they so decide to use them in that way. Right, right. That's a big deal, right? That that, that's huge. A, um, I am excited about the idea of diaspora for my daughters, because I want them to understand that they are American, they are Black American, they are African American, whatever iteration they were comfortable with. But they belong to an African diaspora, which means that they have kind of cultural communities in Brazil. They have communities my my wife is jamaican in jamaica they have communities in london they have communities in in lagos they have communities in uh you know even though south africa you know that they the world is their kind of cultural um home too and i want them to embrace that i want them to really get excited about that and so if there's anything i want to talk with young black children about. I really want to encourage them. I want to challenge them to be expansive in the way that they imagine their future and their identity. And I don't want them to neglect or to leave anything that is native and home and comfortable and familiar, right? Because we need those things too. Right. But there's something for them in Prague as much as there is in Trenton. Right. 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 I want them to feel that way. There's something for them in Addis Ababa, right? right. There's something for them in Tokyo. There's something in them and something for them in Havana. Like I'm really excited about Havana lately just like the connection of like Spanish and African culture. And I firmly believe that some of the solutions for the challenges that we will that we face here Will be found elsewhere. Yes. We will go elsewhere and we will learn and we will become and we will come back and we will see those challenges and those obstacles and even those monsters differently Mm. and have different facility for negotiating them. So that's all of what I would love to be in that song, right? All of that is kind of what I would love to be in that song. Uh, Inspiring and expansive. Those are the two words that like. I think of so let's see if I can if I can mess with that Hmm. what
3: i got i don't even want that to end
0: <laughs> that's what i got wow
3: i on and maybe it's wow. because i'm a father a parent mm-hmm. but that piece mm-hmm. even more so than the one else, so personally about mm-hmm. me and mm-hmm. my father that that's mm-hmm. the one and i think it's because as much as i love my father
0: mm-hmm.
3: he represents Part of my part of me and my past, but mm-hmm. that just felt like everything moving forward for, for my children. Mm-hmm. Was next time.
1: That was real. Okay. That was powerful. My <laughs> girls will listen to that. Yeah. My girls will listen to that. All right. That's well, amazing. Wild Black. Man. Wild Black.
3: Ain't nothing else to say after that. I hope y'all enjoyed it. I hope it opens your mind. You find yourself in a new space. Please appreciate it. Please go learn. So hit up OKCELLO at OKCELLO.com. And I want to thank Mr. Ok OKCELLO
0: Johnson, for blessing us.
2: All right. Thank peace, you, all man. Peace,
3: peace,
0: peace. Thank you all. Appreciate it.